The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, if you weren't here for our food pack last week, we packed about 34,000 meals in about an hour. And we raised, um, at this point, we've received more money over the last few days. We've raised about $8,600 be able to send a Lifeline um, Christian mission. So that was a, yeah, you're allowed to applause for that. That was a super, super fun way for us as a body to come together and to serve and to, and to meet needs and, and be together and, and be activated for the things that God, that God has called us to do. And I, I, hope that, I hope that you had as much fun as we did. Um, I also know that I'm glad it's over. There was a lot of planning and preparation that, that went into it. And, and I heard, I heard two, two pieces of feedback afterwards last week. Number one, we should do that again. And number two, we should pack more meals. So... Um, so we are taking that under advisement, um, and by that I mean we are um, we are looking ahead to uh, we're looking ahead to doing that again because it was a really good way to to really make connections and 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 fulfill the things that we've been talking about as as a church body over the last several weeks. I would encourage you if you have your Bible with you today to open it to Matthew nine verses thirty five to thirty eight. If you look in the seat back in front of you, you'll see a fancy new paperback Bible, and you can go to page 603 in that. If you don't have your own Bible or you don't have your own device, you can go to 603 in that paperback Bible in front of you, and you'll be, fi- you'll be able to follow along. And the answer to the question is yes, there actually was a Bible with a smaller print than that. Um, so you may not think that that's the case, but, but there was... Um, there was one. If you have any questions about today's message, I would encourage you to just send a text to 307-316-2023. And every Tuesday at about 1115, uh, a few of us go online onto our church Facebook page and we talk about, uh, we talk about those, uh, those questions. Shane mentioned uh, distractions. Distractions aren't necessarily always always a bad thing. Um, here's, here's a couple things that are on my mind this morning, and I, and I want to share with you so that, so that they'll be on your mind as well. Uh, first off, if, if you didn't hear, um, Phyllis Mott, Milton Mott's uh, wife, Phyllis passed away yesterday morning very, very early. Her funeral uh, service will be here at Westway Christian Church on Thursday at 10 a.m., if you are not able to attend on Thursday and you want to go to the visitation, that's on Wednesday night from 5 to 7 at Brigman Funeral Home. So that's, that's one of those things that's kind of on my mind uh, this morning. Another thing that's kind of on my mind this morning is last night at about 12.15, our son John came upstairs and said that he had something in his eye and he couldn't get it out. Uh, so sure enough, there was a metal sliver in his eye. So my wife... Took him to uh, took him to the ER last night, so so they could get that sliver out, um, like with a needle. And that first off, that sounds awful, right? So they had to get this sliver of metal out with a needle, and then because this piece of metal had been in, in his eye for a few days, um, rust started to develop on his eye. So they had to get a Dremel power tool and get the rust off of his eye. 
Okay? I don't know how any of that works, and that sounds equally horrifying um, to have someone with a power tool on, on my eye. So that's on my mind. And then while Anne was there, she, uh, she ran into Bobby Daggett, who's, who's been long-term member engaged here at Westway Christian Church. His wife had a heart attack last night and had to be life-flighted out. Um, and he's, he's on his way there um, now to be with her. So... Oh, he's here. Okay. He's going to be on his way after this. Um, so these are some things on, on my mind, and, and I would love for them to be, be on your mind uh, today as well, things that, that affect um, our body. So why don't we pray about that? Um, God, we pray, we pray for um, the, the whole Mott family, um, their daughters, um, all of the children and grandchildren involved in that. Um, it's, been, it's been a very challenging year, to say the least, for them. So we lift them up in prayer. Uh, I pray for, pray for John, our son, as he's home sleeping and uh, doing a little bit of recovery from this little procedure he had last night. And we pray for the Daggetts. Um, we pray for Linda, we pray for Bobby, as he's going to leave in a little bit um, to be with his wife. And all of those things are in the context of what we're here to do, which is to proclaim you as Lord. So receive that today. In your son's name, amen. This is our Faith Promise Month, and this month we've been talking about being activated for God's mission. And what is God's mission? To heal the sick and to save the lost. And he, he sought out people. The examples we talked about a few weeks ago was the example of Matthew, the tax collector. Come, follow me. Another example we talked about was Zacchaeus, who, who climbed the tree. And today we're not going to sing the song like we did then. But Zacchaeus climbed the tree, and Jesus said, Come down, because we're going to your house to play. And they went to Zacchaeus' house uh, to do that. And then we talked about the world God loves and the people that God loves. And, and this love is demonstrated fully through Jesus Christ, fully through the work that he did on the cross. And what Jesus offers us is full participation in his kingdom. And the way that we sort of framed that up was, was the grace that, that everyone receives from God. The rain falls on the, on the just and the unjust, like, like that's limited in scope. You don't have to be a Christian to receive that level of grace, but in order to receive the fullness of of what Jesus offers, we have to be in relationship with him. So what, what is that fullness? And we read, through, we read through Romans chapter 8, so I'm just going to reread that list. Uh, we, there's no condemnation for those who are in the fullness of Christ. There's freedom from the power of sin. We actually have the ability to follow the Spirit of God. We have life and peace. We're not obligated to sin. We become God's children we are heirs of God's glory if we share in his suffering. We get new bodies. We have help and weakness. We have Holy Spirit prayer assistance. Connie corrected me after Sunday. I love when people tell me that I say something wrong um, as soon as we're done with our service. But uh, one of the things that we get from, from Romans 8 is the knowledge that God is working all things together for our good and for his glory for our good and his glory. We're called by him to go 
to him to stand with him and receive his glory. And my favorite part of Romans 8 is at the end where we learn that, that no one can be against us. No one can stand against us. No one can accuse us. No one can condemn us. And there's no one and no thing that can separate us from God's love. We have overwhelming victory. And last week, as I shared, we came together as a body and we packed 34,000 meals and, and we actively lived out what God is calling us to. And what Paul describes in Corinthians as the body of Christ, we embody that as well. Because if you were really paying close attention, what you would have seen is, is there were some people that were scooping food and other people that were weighing food and other people that were heat sealing the food and then boxing it and taping the boxes shut and then moving them to a pallet. And that was the perfect example, the perfect metaphor for the body of Christ, for every person doing their part. Because if just one person hadn't done, hadn't performed their role and their responsibility, somebody in Haiti is going to open a box with only 35 bags of food in it. Or someone's going to get a bag and it's not going to have six meals in it. It's only going to have four meals in it. So when we come together as a body, we are living out the gospel. And, and right now, that food is in process of being shipped to Haiti. So, so in my mind, there's at least dozens of other people that are equally part of God's body that are participating in the distribution of that food. And we're just, a small, we're just a small part of that. And participating in God's work is, is really participating in something other than what we can accomplish on our own. And that's why we need that Romans 8 connection with Jesus. This requires our humility and our submission to someone other than ourselves and to something other than ourselves. And really participating in God's kingdom requires us to accept the reality that it's not always going to be about us. In fact, it rarely is about us. Just a few weeks after Anna and I got married, we moved to northwest Iowa to a little town called Rock Rapids. It was about 10 minutes from Anne's parents' house. And the very first job that I had when we moved to her parents' house was working on Anne's family hog farm. I did not grow up on a farm. She did. So every single thing that I did on that farm was a brand new experience. I remember having to be there early, so we would get these, we would get these metal panels, and we would have to put on all of the appropriate um, already manured clothing um, to go out into the hog yard. And uh, her dad would have gone out earlier, and he would have marked the hogs that we were going to um, we send to market. So we would have to go out into the hog yard with these metal panels and like chase them and get them to go onto the truck. And they really didn't want to do that. I, was, I don't think it was because they were afraid of death because they have no concept of that. But pigs just, you know, they don't want to be, they don't want to go where you tell them to go. So we would have these huge metal panels, and we would go out there and do that, and that was new. Um, bailing hay all, all day long in the summer was, was a new thing. 
Um, driving tractor, that's what we called it. Not driving a tractor, but driving tractor. Driving tractor during harvest was a new thing for me. And one of the things that, I'm pretty sharp, so it didn't take me very, very long to learn this. But something I learned about a week into this was there was exactly two ways to do things on Alan's farm. There was Alan's way and the wrong way. Like, those, those were the choices. Like, like, that was it. It was Alan's way or it was the wrong way. And, and he had that right. He had that right because it was, because it was, it was his farm. And they were, they were his crops. And he was paying me to be his worker. So he had every right to expect of me to work in a way that he wanted me to work. And that's really what we're talking about today with what it means to be on mission from God. And it's described in just six words. It's his field. And it's his harvest, and it's his workers. Henry Blackaby, author, writes this, God has never been absent from the world or what is taking place in history. When we read the Bible, we're reading the redemptive activity of God in our world. We see that he chooses to take the initiative and involves his people with him. He chooses to work through them to accomplish his purposes. It's his field. It's his harvest. It's his workers. When God wanted to build a great nation, he called Abram out of Ur. When God heard his people crying out for him, he called Moses. When Jesus was on the earth, he called 12 men to join him. And throughout the entire Bible, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, whenever God was going to do something, he invited other people to participate. He lets them know what he's going to do. And often he's shockingly light on the details. I would encourage you as you read through the Bible to look at how many times there are few details being offered. Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and go to the land that I will show you. That was the instruction. You're going to go where I tell you to go. Boom. Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You have to lead my people out of Egypt. No instructions. Remember what Jesus said to Peter and Andrew? Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. There's not a lot of details there. There's not a lot of instructions in that. We were talking about this earlier, about our food pack last week. Our only training was a a three-and-a-half-minute video. And we got in that room. We just all kind of figured it out, right? What we were supposed to do, we figured it out as we went. And God's revelation to us is our invitation to join him. When God reveals something to us, he's inviting us to join him. That is his invitation. For us to see what he is calling us to, that is his invitation. And I think there are times in the church where we live in this space where we have to wait for someone to invite us to serve. 
Like somebody comes up here and, and they threaten and they cajole and they do all of these things. And that's not, that's not God's activity. God just reveals what he's, what he's doing. And that revelation is the invitation. Here's his example in John 5. Jesus says this, My father's always working and so am I. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he's doing. See, God's always at work. There's never a time where God's not at work. There's never been a time where God wasn't at work. God is always working. He's always doing something. And what we want to do is we want to see what he's doing and join him in that because that's what Jesus did. And as God's obedient children, we're in a love relationship with him. That's what it means to be his child. That's what a Romans 8 response looks like is to be in love with God. And he gives us all of these benefits, not, not that we would hoard them for ourselves, not that we would receive these things and keep them in this physical space, but that we would go out and we would share those things with others. We would share that Romans 8 with other people because his revelation to us as to what he's doing is our invitation Let's read Matthew 9, 35 to 38. If you were in our adult Sunday school area today, you heard these verses already, and I shared in there. I love it when God just does really crazy things, like give someone a verse to talk about, and then when the sermon is going to be about the same thing, and there is zero human uh, discussion about what that looks like. I love that. Here's Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Jesus lived in a time of great confusion. And what he did was he had compassion on all of the people who were confused. He stepped into the world to do something about it. And I love the way Rhonda talked about that. If you miss that, it's your loss. Today, what Jesus did, what we're going to talk about, what Jesus did was he prayed for workers. He said, the harvest is great. Pray for workers. Disciples, do you see all of these things that are going on all around you? Pray for workers. The harvest is great. This revelation by Jesus, the harvest is great, was his invitation for them to join him. And the way they were to join him in the work was to pray. Sort of. Unless you read the next chapter, which is next week's sermon. But what was the mission? To seek and save the lost. Because it was his field. It was his harvest. These are his workers. And we too live in an age of confusion. Confusion. 
There are ongoing local, statewide, and national issues that demand a response from us. The things that we see taking place in our world demand a response. The whole eastern side of Nebraska and several other states are undergoing tremendous flooding. Our political system, you know this, our political system is a total disaster. Let's be honest. Our political system is a disaster. People in Haiti and around the world need food. And every single day in our world, there are terror attacks on people based on their race and their creed and their religion. We live in an age of confusion. And if you're like me, we don't know what to do with that. And as I was listening to Rhonda over the last couple of days, just talk about all of these statistics about how many people have access to Jesus and how many people don't know Jesus and how many people live uh, on a dollar twenty-five a day. And all of these statistics, like, I don't know what to do with any of that. I don't know what to do. So all too often, I do nothing. I do nothing. We're constantly being fed lies as a culture. You do you. Live your truth. Do what makes you feel good. Do what you think is best. And then people do really wacky things. And we wonder why they did them. But that's what we told them to do because that's what our culture says they are supposed to do. Is do what makes them feel good. The world of social media is a disaster. And that is being very kind. And we don't have the option as Christians to to sit here in isolation, acting normal like none of it is going on. That's not, that's not our call. Because the work is his field, and it's his harvest, and we're his workers. And I think that when we frame it up that way, and we think about it being God's work, and, and we do the work, and we're supposed to come alongside, I think that's the root of the problem. Because Because we don't want to work in his field. We don't want to harvest the people that he is bringing to us. We don't want to harvest them. We don't want to work his way. We don't want to do the things that he wants us to do. And I think the reality of it is, is because it just requires too much of us. requires too much of us. It's easier and simpler for us to sit in isolation and do nothing. To feel trapped because of the, because of the harvest. And it requires too much of us. But the reality of it is, is God's revelation is, is his invitation to us to join in his work. And there's a, there's a world out there that needs him. There are people that don't, that don't know Jesus that aren't in a, in a Romans 8 relationship with him. And we don't, talk a lot about, um, we don't talk a lot about hell at Westway. 
Not because we don't believe in it. It's just the way we read through Scripture. And, like, we'll get there. Eventually, we're going to have have a conversation about what it looks like to be separated from God for all eternity. But see, one of the things as Christians, we believe as Romans 8 Christians who believe what a relationship with God ought to look like is all of the people who don't have that Romans 8 relationship with Jesus, when they die, they face eternal separation. And my hunch is that a lot of us in this room believe that as reality. but we just sit in isolation and do nothing about it. Because it requires too much of us. It's too hard. And preview what I love about next chapter 10 in, in Matthew, the next chapter, is Jesus sends the very people that he told to pray for workers. He wasn't, he wasn't telling them to pray for someone else to come along so that we can send them to go and be missionaries for us. Okay? The missionaries that we support at Westway Christian Church, they're not, they're not missionary by proxy for you. Well, I'm not going to go on the mission field, so, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pay someone else to do it. It's not, it's not how missions works. Jesus didn't say pray for workers so we can send those guys out and and we can kind of have this isolated, comfortable life. Jesus says pray for workers and by the way, you are the workers. The people that we are praying for are one another. And this revelation... That, that I'm sharing with you right now that's just coming from God's word, and that's, that's why every Sunday um, when I get up here, I say the exact same thing. Okay, If you've paid any attention at all over the last two years, it is if you have your Bible with you, open it up to this. Because, because I want you to see like, where, where all of this comes from. And where this comes from is God's word. And this revelation that we are observing a lost and confused world is your invitation to do something about it. And it's my invitation to do something about it. And part of it is supporting missions. Part of it is supporting missionaries financially 100%. That's one of the reasons why we do Faith Promise. And that's one of the reasons why next week we're going to collect these Faith Promise cards. Because funding funding mission... Funding missions is an important aspect of mission, and it's an important aspect of missions. But, but this doesn't get us out of sharing the gospel with the people we know. This in no way, shape, or form excuses us from any role or responsibility in proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. No matter how big of a number you put on this piece of paper, there's not a single one of us in this room that is exempt from proclaiming Jesus as Lord. None of us are exempt of that. Our missionaries are not 
our proxy workers. It's not how this works. And this revelation is your invitation because his harvest and his field is ready and what he needs are workers. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 4. You'll find this on page 663 in your Bible. I love being able to say that. It's awesome. Page 663 on that piece of, on that, on the paperback in front of you. This is John 4, 35. And if you're, if you've been in church and you're familiar with, with the church, John 4 is this, is this scene where Jesus goes, goes through Samaria and he meets this, he meets this woman and she's caught, she's had five husbands and it's, like this big long scene, I would encourage you to read John, John chapter 4. And at the end of that, uh, the disciples come back and, and they sort of, they, they see Jesus talking to this woman and they're trying to figure out why he would, why he would be talking to this lady. And um, she goes to get all of her friends and she brings them to Jesus. And the disciples, this is a little bit before the verse I'm going to read. The disciples before this, they say, hey Jesus, um, we need you to eat something. And Jesus' response is awesome. I have a kind of food you know nothing about. And I love the way, um, <laughs> like the, the disciples are just so, elsewhere Jesus calls them dull, so we can call them dull. The disciples are so dull. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others have already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Wake up. Wake up and look around you, because his fields are ripe for the harvest. This is your invitation. We're his workers, and this is going to require everything of us. This is going to require every part of us. This is going to require us to do things differently, both as individuals and as a church body. Because, like, I had an idea of, like, what farming was, sort of. I had been, I think, to Ann's parents' house twice before we got married, and both of them were like weekend things. So I had like this really narrow, limited view of what farming was. And all that changed. I'll never forget the day that Ann's dad handed me the keys to the pickup with the 20-foot hog trailer on it and said, go drive this to the market in Sioux Falls. I was like, are you serious? I had never driven a pickup that size with a, tra- with a trailer attached to it, filled with his, uh, like someone else's livelihood in my entire life. And then I had to back it up, right? Down a narrow hog chute, 
right? Like if you've ever done that, I just married the guy's daughter. We've been married for, for a month and a half and she's already pregnant. And now I'm driving hogs to market. See, I had to orient myself differently. I had to do something different. I had to change. And I think we have to change too. Earlier this year, our elders and pastors and a few other leaders, we went to a, we went to a leaders training thing over in uh, Grand Island. And one of the things that we talked about was the difference between a member-driven church and a mission-driven church. And you'll find this list in your bulletin, and I would encourage you to read it. And I've been waiting to be able to share this with you because I think this has tremendous amount of import and value for us as a church body as we are activated into what God calls us to. And as, as I read through these things, I want, you, I want you to understand that perhaps God is revealing something to you. And in that revelation, there's an invitation to join him. A member-driven church says the pastors are gifted to serve us. A mission-driven church says we are all gifted to serve others. A member-driven church says come to our building. A mission-driven church says leave and serve and meet needs. A member-driven church says people worship at the church on Sunday. The mission-driven church says worship is 24-7. A member-driven church emphasizes teaching. A mission-driven church emphasizes serving. See, that's why we packed food last week. So that we could serve. A member-driven church says the leaders tell the gospel. A mission-driven church says all Christians show and tell the gospel. A member-driven church is focused on self and a mission-driven church is focused on others. And while I'm so thankful, I feel like we are moving at warp speed towards being a mission-driven church. I, I really feel that's true. We are moving quickly towards being a mission-driven church. I know that there are just pockets of, of individuals or pockets of people who are, who are just, just focused on ourselves. And I think what we misunderstand is when we do that, we think this is our field. We think this is our harvest. We think we're working for ourselves. And we're missing what God has for us. And see, when... When it's my field and my harvest and I'm working for myself, then I can kind of decide when I want to show up to work, right? Like, I can just decide and just want to take the day off. I can decide when I want to come and participate in, in the things that, that the church body's doing. If I just don't feel like it that day, I'm not going to come because it's really mine. And I want to want to tell you that I think that's the reason why why for some of us, why we are so incredibly bored with church. I think it's why we're so incredibly bored with Westway, and it's why we're so incredibly bored with God. Because we've made the decision that this is about us. 
And see, then when it's not about us, that forces you to like have this, have this crisis, right? This tension. I thought this was about me. Well, no, it's not. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about his harvest, his fields. And we're to be his workers. And he's looking for workers to join him in his work. He's looking for us to join him in his work. In John chapter 15, Jesus says this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Those are Jesus' words from John 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So if we're doing things apart from Jesus, we can do fantastically amazing, wonderful things. We can have a million kids show up at VBS, which would be super because there's not that many people just like right around here. So if we had a million kids, that would be awesome. Like, we could do lots of really, really amazing things, but if we did all of those amazing things and and we weren't doing it on his field and his harvest as his workers, what Jesus says in John 15 is, it doesn't mean anything. It's worthless. It's empty. Because, see, in in Jesus' economy, there are two ways to do things. There's Jesus' way, and the wrong way. Not an almost right way, but a wrong way. And there are so many needs that we have in Scotts Bluff. There are so many needs we have in Gearing and Mitchell and Minotaur. And every time you hear about a meth lab bust, or a child in foster care, or a family in crisis, or a suicide, or anything. Anytime you hear about any one of those things, that is our invitation to join God in what he is doing. And what's he doing? He's seeking the sick and finding the lost. More than ever, what people need is people like Jesus. They need loving shepherds to see them in their confusion. And the interesting thing about confusion is that some of them aren't even going to see themselves as confused. They will have convinced themselves that they know everything there is to know. Our world needs people to step into that confusion in the way that Jesus did and show compassion. They don't need our wagging fingers. They don't need our clucking tongues. They don't need us to act normal as though none of this is actually happening around us. They need our compassion and they need our love. In page after page of this book, God is revealing to us his mission and his love for creation. And in every one of them, he reveals something, and that's the invitation to participate. I would encourage you this week, as you, as you think about this aspect of what it means to be involved and engaged in mission, Think about the the figure you are going to write on here. I would urge you to consider what what is God inviting you to? How is God inviting you where you are today? How is God inviting you to be on mission? What is he revealing to you? Because God's revelation 
is your invitation to join him in his work. Let's pray. God, just want us to take a moment and just listen to you. Ask that you would just speak to us. Ask that you would reveal to us the lost and helpless and confused people that we come into contact with. God, give us give us a face, give us a name of someone who is lost and confused and helpless. chances are this person has been lost and confused and helpless for a really long time and we've known that and like we heard this morning during Rhonda's talk we've walked by them and they're like the pile of clothes on the floor that we just step over we see them there but we choose not to do anything about it and these are people that are made in your image that you desire to be in a Romans 8 relationship with So as we see these names and we see these faces, God, the first step of obedience is always repentance. God, I'm sorry for the people that I know I've walked by. What you tell us is you're with us. When you sent us on mission, you told us that you were going to be with us always. So you're with us when we see people that are lost and helpless and confused. Help us to trust in that presence. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.